from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hello, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm. I am a senior fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement at Family Research Council, and it is my pleasure to be sitting in for Tony today. So grateful that you have chosen to spend this time with us today. Today on the program, we could be only weeks away from the overturn of Roe versus Wade, but what would that mean for your state? We have a new resource to help you answer that question, and we'll talk about that today on the program. In addition, school boards across the country continue to be remade as parents continue to get involved. Where was the latest victory for concerned parents? We'll tell you about that as well. In addition, it's clear that the public education system does not share the goal of many parents. Is there something the church can do to take back the leadership of education it once had? You might be pleasantly surprised by the answer. So stay tuned for that conversation. But first, our top story today. The Biden administration announced plans to revoke Title 42 next month which was implemented in response to the COVID-19 pandemic and allows for the rapid expulsion of migrants at the border. Even with Title 42 in place, it's been reported that more than 62,000 illegal immigrants evaded Border Patrol just last month. The Biden administration's current solution for the border crossers? Free smartphones. Thank you, Jen. First on immigration, our team in Texas is uh, saying that you guys are starting to give smartphones to border crossers, hoping that they'll use the phones to check in or uh, to be tracked. Uh, Which part of that is supposed to deter people from crossing illegally into the states? Well, I I think you of all people, since you've asked me a range of questions on this topic over time, would recognize that we need to take steps to ensure that we know where individuals are and we can track and, and we can check in with them. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Chuck Fleischman. He serves on the House Committee on Appropriations and represents Tennessee's 3rd District. Congressman Fleischman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph, it's a pleasure, sir. Thank you. It's great to have you. Now, first, I just want to get your reaction to the comments there from Jen Psaki and the Biden administration's uh, response to immigration by giving people smartphones, apparently as a way to track them. Well, just when you think that the Biden administration can do a worse job on border security and immigration, they come back and do an even worse job. It's shocking. It's wrong. The repeal of Title 42 is going to be an out-and-out disaster. I had a very good meeting, actually, with the Homeland Security Secretary today, but uh, smartphones, uh, the, the cost Uh, The Biden administration just doesn't get it. They have no policy. The border, the American people need to know this, Joseph, the border is going to be overrun again. We're talking about 18,000 more per day starting in uh, in about a month. Shocking, wrong, outrageous. Again, Joe Biden's messed up. Now, Congressman, The Title 42 is a Trump administration policy, but it's also a COVID era policy. Tell us specifically how it was useful at the border. Absolutely. It's a deterrent from keeping people from coming across. It allows for an expedited, a quicker procedure to get those people uh, basically sent away. And it's a big disincentive. So what does Joe Biden do? He announces through his CDC that he's going to repeal this prop, this this Title 42, which keeps uh, border crossings down, even though they've been coming across in droves. Uh, there's probably about 100,000 people just waiting to come across. Uh, another tool in the toolbox that Joe Biden is throwing away and allowing more illegals just to come across. What we're going to see is about 18,000 more per day coming across. It will overwhelm the system in terms of the logistics, the legal system. What what does the administration want to do? Spend more money on logistics to accommodate illegals. It's wrong. It's ridiculous. It's costly. And just another example of how out of touch Joe Biden and this administration is and how harmful their policies are to America. 
Now, Congressman, we know that the long journey we've all had with COVID, uh, just this week, even yesterday, in fact, Jen Psaki was making comments about the fact that COVID-19 is not over. And of course, Title 42 is a COVID-19 policy. And much of the justification is we can't have people flooding in if we don't know if they are infected or not. Now, how do we, how do we, um, how do we deal with the fact that on one hand, the administration is saying COVID-19 is not over yet. This policy that was put in place to make sure that we aren't letting infected people into the country. We're going to, we're going to do away with that. Even though in some cases, you know, we're still wearing masks on air on airplanes. Exactly right. The Biden administration is consistently wrong. What they do is if it fits their rhetoric, if it fits their narrative, if it fits their radical left wing agenda, then they will articulate it. That's what they've done with COVID, with masks, with school closings, with the entire agenda. But if, if they've got another goal and their goal is to have basically open porous borders, let's face it, that's what we've seen since Biden has taken over. He's incentivized it. This is another reason to do that. So what do they do? They turn around and they argue that the world is flat, but they're flat wrong in this, this uh, instance. It's shocking. The American people should be outraged when we see what this will do. Again, 18,000 a day unchecked. It's going to be outrageous. It's going to reflood the system and again, lead to the horrible burdens of illegal immigration and all of the frailties that go with that. We're talking about fentanyl. We're talking about crime. We're talking about hospitals that are already overrun with sick people, including legitimate legal COVID patients. How is our healthcare system going to handle this? What are they going to do? They're going to flood the healthcare system. What is the Biden administration going to do? We found out today they're going to ask for more money, more taxpayer money, more borrowed money to deal with their failed policies. It's an outrage. Now, Title 42 was implemented under the Trump, Trump administration, but the Biden administration has maintained it, at least in part. Why is now the moment at which they've decided we need to do away with this entirely? Another great question. Joseph, as you know, I am the ranking member, the highest Republican on the Homeland Security Subcommittee of Appropriations. And for months, we have said that the Trump administration was correct, as they have been about a lot of different things. Title 42 has worked. It's been rapid. It keeps sick people out. It, it is a deterrent to illegal immigration. So what does the Biden administration do? They see the T for Trump and they run the other way and they come up with a policy like they've done in Afghanistan, like they've done with other domestic programs, like they've done with energy. And they run the opposite direction because they don't want to give the past administration credit for doing an outstanding job. And what do they do? They continue as the Biden administration to take failed policies and bring them back and back and back. So canceling Title 42 is a huge mistake. We're going to pay for it dearly for decades to come. Uh, we're going to pay for it immediately. We're going to have a lot of costs. We're going to have more chaos at the border. Uh, I don't know what this administration is thinking. Politically, it's going to be another nail in their coffin. The American people do not want this. When they realize what they're going to get, it'll be too late. But uh, I hope people call their representatives and their senators and call the White House and say, keep Title 42 in place. It's a good policy, just like other border policies from the Trump administration were. Kept our border safe, secure, closed. And what happens? Uh, Biden takes us in a completely different direct, uh, direction. Another failure. Now, most people watching and listening have never attempted to immigrate to the country through the southern border. So they don't have an we don't have an understanding of practically what this looks like. Now, Title 42 enabled border control to simply turn people away at the border when they approached the border without Title 42. What options do Border Patrol have? Well, that's another great question. What they're probably going to do is allow these people coming over. Now, bear this in mind. As we speak, well over 100,000 people are waiting to come over. They realize that Joe Biden and his administration are going to do away with Title 42. It's going to be another incentive for illegal immigration. People who have been turned away are going to come back in droves. So bottom line, what we're going to see is them taking advantage of another failed 
Biden administration, border security or lack of border security policy, Title 42 was an effective tool to very swiftly and effectively say, sick people do not come in. We're going to turn you back if you come from areas that have high COVID rates. It was effective. It works. It still works. And guess what? Joe Biden wants to do away with it. It's going to hurt our country. We're talking to Congressman Chuck Fleischman. And Congressman, there's another component of this that I think most of us don't have a a, a great understanding of. And and much of the immigration discussion includes uh, claims for asylum. And anyone who approaches the border can make a claim for asylum. And those adjudications take years in most cases to determine if the person is a, a good candidate for asylum, if we're going to grant asylum. But the difference here, my understanding, and I want you to tell me if I'm right about this or not, is that the current policy allowed Border Patrol to send people back to the country where they are coming from while that determination is made. But once it is revoked, the person who applies for asylum will have the right to remain in the country for the years while that determination is made. And often they just disappear. Am I understanding that situation correctly? You are at several layers, Joseph, at several levels. Uh, the judicial process dealing with illegal immigration. Now, remember this. These are people who are coming into our country illegally. They are not complying with American law as it relates to immigration. We are a nation of laws. They swarm over in droves and come across the border. And then a broken legal system, which does what? It incentivizes illegal immigration because we know these people will stay. Sometimes it's six or eight years before a court date. And clearly, even many times after there's an adjudication and they say, you must go back, these people are not sent back. It's outrageous. They can't find them. They don't show up. What is the Biden administration going to do? They're going to say, well, since the system is backlogged because of their failed policies, they're going to turn around and basically create a new rule to deal with more costs, more officers, more bureaucracies. And what are these bureaucrats going to do? They're going to determine on the front line whether or not it's a verifiable asylum claim. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to let more people in. Why? Because that's what the Biden administration wants to do. It's an open border policy. It's a failure. It's a disgrace to America. Congressman Fleischman, when we hear you describe it this way, it seems self-evidently not helpful. But you've had many of conversations with the administration. Had they tried to make an argument for why this is good policy, for why this is good for the country? They've got a completely different view. Uh, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, they've had that from the inception. If you recall... During the election, they were telling people to come over. If you speak with the illegals, if you talk to them, what did they say? They were told by coyotes, by criminals, by cartels, that Joe Biden and this administration wanted them to come over. Many of the people who were actually sent back said they would have never come, but for the rhetoric of Joe Biden saying, please come on over. They actually had t-shirts, basically believing that Joe Biden wanted them to do this. Again, for political gain, short-term political gain for his radical left-wing agenda and his minions on the left, Joe Biden promoted this. It's one of the biggest failures in American history. Congressman, what hurts me is that this is going to hurt our country for decades to come. Congressman Fleischman, we are out of time, but we greatly appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being with us. Stay with us. What will life look like in your state after Roe? We'll talk about Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. 
With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Grateful that you are spending this time with us today. In the 49 years since the U.S. Supreme Court's infamous decision in Roe v. Wade, states have enacted numerous laws protecting unborn life, only for many of them to be blocked by the courts because of the legal precedent set by Roe. Now, in Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health Organization, the Supreme Court is considering the constitutionality of a Mississippi law that would protect unborn life at 15 weeks gestation. Now, Mississippi's law directly challenges the legal precedent established in Roe. As Americans on both sides of the abortion debate wait on pins and needles for the court to hand down its decision, likely before the end of June, what would a potential overturning of Roe mean in practice for every state? Well, FRC's Connor Semmelsberger, who is our Director of Federal Affairs, handling the life issue, joins me now to answer that question. Connor, good to see you today. Great to be on, Joseph. Connor, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Maybe they can get me in your ear. I don't know if you can hear me. But, Connor, tell me, what will happen if the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade like we all hope it will? Yes, and that we do. For 50 years, we do hope that this decision finally will overturn Roe v. Wade. What will happen there? Um, you know, this is where it goes back to the state legislatures, Congress, right? The people's voice to enact laws surrounding abortion and pro-life laws. And so that's what we hope happens this summer. Now, what would that mean for your state? Well, all these laws that have been passing through your state chambers, you hear about them in the news for decades that have been passing since Roe versus Wade had happened back in 1973. Uh, the good news is many of these laws will, for the first time in these 50 years, be able to be enforced. Unborn life can finally be protected at all stages of life if Roe was to be overturned, rather than that late-term viability threshold they established or try to create out a whole cloth in that, that bad precedent they set all those years ago. Now, Connor, you've been part of creating a resource to make this information available to people. Tell us what you've done. Yeah, so FRC has had pro-life maps for a couple years now at frc.org slash pro-life maps, covering several pro-life issues like born-alive laws, fetal dignity laws, and even if your state funds abortion and abortion businesses. This new, this updated map 
does exactly what we talked about here. It will show what our, our country could look like once Roe is overturned, right? And again, all these laws have been passing through state chambers for years and years and years, finally can be enforced. And so what we've done here is we've told each state's pro-life story, or lack thereof, in the last 50 years. We've categorized each state by their strongest protection. What is the strongest point or the, the fullest protection they have? Is that at conception, a whole protection for unborn life? Is that at heartbeat around five or six weeks gestation? Maybe a pain level or 15 weeks like we've heard in, in Mississippi or that viability line around 24 weeks that we've heard about so much since Roe. Or are you a state like California and New York that give the guise of protecting life around 24 weeks, but actually because of the way the laws are written, they just allow these big, big uh, exceptions through mental health, women's health, that a woman can show up to an abortion clinic, provide almost any reason and get an abortion at any point in pregnancy. Connor, I know a lot of states have passed uh, what are sometimes referred to as trigger laws that say, essentially, the moment Roe versus Wade is overturned, abortion will be illegal in our state. How many states have done that? Yeah, quite a few. The great news is, and this is really great news, 18 total states, if Roe were to be overturned tomorrow, would have laws on the books they can enforce that award full protections for the unborn. It's quite amazing. And like you mentioned, there's a couple ways states have done this. Some have laws on the books all the way going back 150 years, way before Roe v. Wade, when our nation was fully a pro-life nation in the 1800s, passing pro-life laws. They never got rid of the laws, so they're still there in the books. And if Roe was overturned, they could enforce them once again. But another way states in recent years, I think 2005, South Dakota was the first state to pass such a law that said, okay, we get Roe is telling us we can't award full protections to the unborn now, but what happens when Roe is overturned? We're going to pass a law that says whenever we're allowed to again, whenever the courts say we can, this full protection for unborn life from conception will go into effect. And like I said, 18 total states thankfully have some version of a full protection. Some of them are this. And it was another creative way to uh, pass pro-life legislation with Rose Iron Curtain over state legislative chambers here. Now, Connor, we all kind of have in our minds a, an idea of where states are politically because we've seen red and blue maps for a long time and then we've seen some that are purple uh, in your research, in putting this map together, were there any surprises about which states were more or less pro-life? Yes, quite a few. I'll start with a good positive one. Wyoming. Wyoming, one of a, you know, a very conservative state we thought of many years. Up till a week or a few weeks ago, uh, they have allowed abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. They had a mental health exception that really allowed late-term abortions. And so, the, the state legislative chamber knew this. They saw Roe coming down, and in the last couple of weeks, they passed one of these trigger or post-Roe laws that says, if Roe's overturned, we're going to award full protections for the unborn. So they went from being one of the most liberal abortion laws to, to now one of the most conservative. So that was, that was a very big surprise. But on the flip side, you look at states, my gosh, you look at a Minnesota, again, a state allowing abortion through all nine months. You know, you don't think of them in the same vein as, as California and New York, but, but right there. You look at small states like Joe Biden's uh, Delaware or Rhode Island, uh, longtime historically Catholic pro-life Democrats in those states. And again, they allow abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. Pretty surprising. And then you have states like in Indiana, in Indiana you know, uh, Governor Pence was there, you know, Vice President Pence. You think of Indiana as a pro-life state. The strongest law they have on the books is 20 weeks. So that's pretty late into the second trimester. Um, if Roe were overturned tomorrow, uh, women can get legal abortions in Indiana through 20 weeks, which is very surprising for a conservative state like Indiana. Now, Connor, so many people working on the life issue at the state and local level and doing so successfully. Does this map uh, provide the opportunity to let those people know the opportunities for improvement that exist in their state? Yes, that's exactly the design, and here's how it works. You see this bright, colorful map, all the red states on there, not conservative ones, they're the pro-abortion states, and a shades of green for the good states there. And, um, yeah, it's encouraging some competition. You, you see your state that you know to be a good pro-life state, and you see that you can't, uh, your laws aren't strong enough to protect unborn life. This is serve as an encouragement for the voters, for activists, pro-life movements in the states, as well as those legislators that when they get the opportunity, whether it's this next election, to elect those pro-life leaders they need to get these laws over the finish line. But either way, these states need to continue to pass pro-life laws. Uh, Connor, Scripture tells us that we are to provoke one another to love and good works. And this map gives us a great opportunity to see what our friends in other states have done and see how we might do some good works in our own state. And we thank you for bringing it to us. Thanks so much for being with us today as well. Always a pleasure, Joseph. 
Stay with us. We talk a little bit about good work at the local level when it comes to life, but there's a lot of good work at the local level going on other issues as well, specifically education and specifically at the school board level. We're going to talk about the latest victory for concerned parents and where that took place when we come back here on Washington Watch. Stay with us. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph back home sitting in for Tony today. Earlier this week, three GOP-backed school board candidates in Waukesha, Wisconsin, pulled off the ultimate upset of the Waukesha school board, ousting three incumbents after a local uproar over critical race theory. This, of course, was yet another sign in yet another part of the country that parents are taking back their right to decide how and what their children will be taught in local public schools after almost two years of disastrous learning under COVID. Also this week, in the state of Missouri, the largest school board in that state had two incumbents who were far to the left replaced by novices, not incumbents, who were on the side of the parents. FRC's legislative affiliate, FRC Action, has been instrumental in training up-and-coming school board members across the country to engage their local communities. And FRC Action Vice President Brett Kylan joins me now to discuss. Brett, good to see you today. Thanks, Joseph. Good to be with you today. Now, I just mentioned these three newly elected GOP school board members in Waukesha. What are some of the other areas we've seen higher than usual levels of conservative success electing sound school board members? You know, Joseph, really all over the country, um, if you if you uh, take this back to last year when this first uh, became an issue, uh, we saw this uh, first starting to show up in some of those school board races um, in places like Texas last summer. Then then uh, fast forward to last fall. You know, of course, this played a, a huge role in, in the Virginia and the Virginia, uh, Virginia governor's race and the other Virginia races. But there were places across the country where we saw 
uh, uh, positive impacts by conservative candidates, candidates who really wanted to make sure school boards uh, are, are well represented and schools are teaching truth and not indoctrinating. Um, you look at places like Iowa, uh, Nebraska, Texas. Uh, in Texas, in fact, they added some very solid candidates to two of the largest school districts in the entire state. And Texas is a very big state. Uh, Pennsylvania and Virginia. Uh, so literally across the country. Um, and so I, I think um, one of the big questions really going into this year, a lot of people had it, education became such a, a huge issue. Would this effort be sustained or would this be kind of a, a flash in the pan effort that that went away? And I think one of the most encouraging things about what we saw in uh, in Wisconsin even this week is that it looks like this issue is not going away. Parents are fired up. They're engaged. And it looks like they are going to sustain involvement. And in fact, uh, not just at the school board level, uh, there was a recent CNN poll that said um, about 50 percent of voters said this would impact who they vote for uh, at the federal level as well. So this continues to be a very, very huge issue all across the country. Brent, I really don't think that should be surprising to anyone when you talk about parents, uh, because as much as citizens and people are willing to fight for their country, Parents will fight for their children all the harder. And in this case, it really is a sense that parents feel like they have to defend their kids. And uh, there's almost nothing, perhaps, more motivating than a parent or someone more motivating than some parent who believes they are defending their children. Now, we've heard a lot about a lot of issues. Do you have a sense, as you've observed these races across the country, what issue is most motivating to parents? You know, Joseph, it's hard to pinpoint one. Uh, we've done a number of school board trainings across the country. Our, our uh, grassroots supporters have been very active on this issue. Critical race theory has gotten a lot of attention, but it's not just that. It's masks on students. It's been the reopening of schools and concerns with that. It's been the sexuality issue. You know, in Loudoun County, Virginia, there were a couple of uh, sexual assaults parents were very concerned about. Um, there's been some very sexual explicit material uh, approved in some of these school districts. Um, and so it really is a, a host of issues, I think, that are that are kind of converging. I also think the, uh, the, uh, the issue we saw play out last year where they tried to dub these parents as domestic terrorists uh, just motivated that much, uh, that much more because they asked, um, what are you trying to hide if you don't want me to show up for the school board meetings for my own kids? Now, Brent, you and the team at FRC Action have created resources specifically for parents who are both concerned and motivated to do something. Tell us a bit more about those. Uh, that's right, Joseph. Um, you can find these at frcaction.org slash schools. And um, we we really have wanted to equip people to be able to get involved. There's a lot of people concerned. They see what's going on, but they're like, I, I, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to run for office. I don't know how to how to do uh, these sorts of things. And so we've done, uh, we put together a number of resources to equip people to run for school board. Uh, we've done some online Events, you can find those for free at that link I mentioned. We've also done some in-person events. Uh, we, we appreciated having you join us at one of those in North Carolina. Got a great response there. But if you're interested in running for school board, I would recommend visiting uh, our, our web link and looking at those, those resources. Also, if you say, you know what, I'm just not cut out to run for office, but I want to help somebody else or, or do something from the outside, there's lots of ways to get involved. Again, I would, I would encourage you to check out our resources there because there's so many different ways that you can get involved and, and we've compiled them all there to, to help equip parents and, and concerned citizens. And that's frcaction.org slash schools. Again, that's frcaction.org slash schools to learn how you can get involved. And Brent, thank you so much for telling us about it today. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Joseph. Appreciate it. Coming up, we're going to continue our conversation about education and schools because a lot of us are concerned, but few of us have a plan to change education for good. But my next guest does, and he has a plan to help the church lead again. We'll talk about it when we come back. Stay with us. 
Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students, are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. Reminder that the website is tonyperkins.com, where you can see this and every episode of Washington Watch whenever it is most convenient for you. That's tonyperkins.com. Well, as regular listeners and viewers of the program will know, Education has been a frequent theme here at Washington Watch because Christian parents have become increasingly concerned with who is molding and shaping not only the minds of their children, but also their hearts. And this has led many parents and other Christian leaders to ask the question, how can we reclaim the education for the gospel? Joining me now to discuss this is David McDonald. He's the global lead for the third education revolution team. He has some great ideas. David, welcome to Washington Watch. Yes, thanks for having me, Joseph. It's good to see you again. Well, it's good to see you, David. And first, I want to lead off this conversation. You're not a policy guy necessarily by background. Um, You care about education. You work in education, but you're a parent. You're an American. You're a concerned citizen. When you have watched what happened last year in Virginia, Uh, what's happened recently in recent weeks in Florida and then around the country. We've talked about some of them on the program today, critical race theory, gender theory, mask policy, all the stuff that's agitating parents about what's going on in the school. What have you observed? What have you learned from this? Well, I'm not sure if I can comment. I'm not a biologist, (laughs) nor am I a policy guy, as you said. No, I'm just kidding. So really what I think is, here is there, I would just start out with the obvious, like Satan, um, I'm going to read just from John 8, 44. It says the devil, right? He, 
refuses to uphold the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I look at everything that's going on with what they're saying the bill is called versus what the bill is, I just, I sit back and I know who's behind this. In some ways, believe it or not, that gives me comfort because we need to remember who the enemy is. David, do you see what we're dealing with culturally and that's debated here in Washington, D.C. and in, in state capitals around the country? Are these political problems? I actually think that everything goes back to worldview. They're ultimately their spiritual problems. It's there's diabolical forces training and they have their own discipleship versus a biblical mandate. And so. I see those things as downstream from discipleship. Talk a bit more about that. How do you think worldview is affecting where we're at today? You know, again, I'm going to go back to scripture. I'm just going to read from first Timothy and it says, um, and these things you, and he's referring to Timothy here, have heard me, this is Paul speaking, say in the presence of many witness and trust to reliable people and in the Christian sense, we would say those are pastors and teachers who will be qualified to teach others. Those others would be students. Now, what's happened is the the diabolical side, I'm going to say through, and I'm going to use higher education in this, the Paul and Timothy are your university professors and those in higher education. The reliable people are those teachers that they've trained in order to teach the others and the students. And so what we're seeing downstream from where I would say this culture is, is the worldview, these ideas and beliefs now are trickling down and they're spilling over from media. They're spilling over. We're seeing them, you know, with Disney down in Florida, all of the things that they're saying, we're seeing it in our K through 12 programs. But I think a lot of it stems back from those who are training the teachers. You know, last week on the program, when I was hosting the program, we talked about, we, we watched some video from some executives and creatives inside of Disney. And one of them made the comment in this virtual uh, meeting that they were having, which we got footage of. He made the point that they in media have the power to define for people what is normal do you think that's an accurate representation of what we're seeing, whether it's, you know, it's it's TikTok, it's YouTube, it's all the social media channels, it's media, it's Disney, it's their cartoons? Are they using that medium to define what is normal for people in a way that defines normal other than what Scripture defines as normal? Yeah, absolutely. There's so many tools out there. Media is, right, is a big cudgel that is being used everywhere. And so I absolutely would agree that they're trying to redefine words, whether you look at gender affirmation surgery instead of calling it what it is, general mutilation. If they can control language, then they can control everything. Now, David, how do you see the church responding to what's happening in the culture right now? You know, if you would have asked me this question a decade ago, I think I'd have a totally different answer than I have today. Um, I, I Sadly, I would have said 10, 15 years ago, the church was defined a lot by apathy. But I think what we're seeing today are concerned parents, concerned pastors. Some of them are asking, how do we get here? What do we do about it? But I see the church is awakening to a lot of the problems. It's gone so far that people are starting to wake up. What's your evidence of that? How do you see people uh, waking up? What do you see them doing that they weren't doing 10 years ago? Well, one of the first things, if you look to Virginia and you even look at a lot of the moms who are showing up at school board meetings, I was used to be on middle school advisory board in a small town, and we would get from zero to one people showing up. And then we, we were involved with uh, starting a private Christian school, and very few parents would show up. What you're seeing almost on a daily basis is a fight being carried out for the heart and soul of America, which is in their children's education. Yeah. Now, David, uh, I want to get in. And part of why we brought you on here today is because we're going to talk about this conversation at length this Tuesday. We're going to have a webinar where for about 90 minutes, we're going to talk about reclaiming education for the gospel. But you have you're a, a co-author of a book called The Third Education Revolution, and you've been working with a global team across the, not just the country, but the world 
to try to get the church to lead in education. Uh, first, tell me what where this title comes from. What are you referring to as the third education revolution? Really, what we're looking at is one is what do we need this this ecosystem that is education. Does it need a moderate tweaking or does it need something more major? And so I want to start with the idea of uh, an education revolution. We believe that this has to totally change from where it's at. If you look to the um, first two major educational reformations, and I'll focus more a little bit more on the second one that happened during what we would call the classic reformation, starting with Luther going through Zwingli. And then through Calvin, what we see is an expansion, a dramatic expansion of education to the masses that was church-based. So education was really, it was based in both virtue, which was, uh, you know, character, and veritas. So it was also based in truth. And we've totally gone off of this to now to where you can feel like whatever you want to feel like. And in the end, your truth is truth instead of having a, a biblical or revelatory truth. David, we, we know the history of a lot of our most prestigious institutions, Yale and Harvard, in these places that were that were founded in order to train ministers of the gospel. And clearly they're doing different things now. Is the fact that the church is no longer leading in that way, was that a conscious decision that was made? Or is it something that happened accidentally? I, you know, I think it's it, it comes down to a number of things. So when you look at uh, just apathy, um, apathy invades. If you go through the Old Testament, I say I think most of these problems aren't new. If you look even in um, Judges, you know, it's another generation that comes after and they have to learn these things again. And we in America, I would say, are both uh, victims of apathy. But in addition to that, I think there are some theology things that were both good where we focused purely on gospel and separated that out from discipleship. And this is oversimplification. But. Uh, the encouraging thing is I'm seeing a lot of that change where it's a both and instead of an either or scenario. And tell me more about how you are seeing that change. What are you seeing happen in the church that encourages you that the church not only should, but is uh, asserting itself again in the education arena? Well, one of the first things is I um, go go across the country and speak, and the number of people who want to start educational centers is growing dramatically. Just this year with the model that we've uh, kind of developed, we have four new educational centers uh, that are going, and we have a number of churches that contact us on a weekly basis saying, how do we get involved back in education? How can we start discipling our own kids? And um, that that's the first thing is, is just the data represents so many churches are waking up to this need. And I, I want to give people an opportunity to, to register for this event because we just don't have time today to do the subject justice. But this coming Tuesday, April 12th, at 1 o'clock Eastern time, we are going to do a webinar on this issue. And we already got hundreds of people signed up from around the country. So we hope that you will join us. Go to frc.org slash reclaiming education. I will be hosting. Uh, Dr. McDonald will be there as well. We will have Troy McIntosh from Ohio, who's helped start some schools there. It's going to be a great, really informative conversation that's not only the why the church needs to get involved, but how you can do it. And, David, one question that I want to ask you now, and you can tease the answer to this, because I know this is an obstacle for a lot of people, is whether it's just too expensive for the church to be involved in education realistically. Yeah, that, that actually, I think, is one of the, the key questions to everything that we're facing right now. And so the, um, when, when I went around and I met with different uh, colleges, university, meet with parents, uh, cost and what, what are they going to come out with? Um, what's their degree on the other side was probably my two most common questions. And so I want to give a shout out uh, to Dr. John Jackson of William Jessup University. They have a program, um, and if you want to 
register for it. It's at jessup.edu forward slash right way. And essentially what they're doing is they're going to match in-state tuition for a biblical worldview college that, and they have all sorts of degrees, even science degrees. We're working with a coalition of 10 universities. What's so special about this program is students who are in 11th and 12th grades can start this program. The first two years of college is going to be right around $6,000. The last two years will be between eleven dollars and $12,000. So a total cost of a four-year regionally accredited, I mean, you can take that degree anywhere, education for about $33,000. This is uh, unparalleled. We're working with private schools in order that their 11th and 12th graders can start in college. This is going to lower student debt. It can solve all sorts of problems. If you look at the average age when people are getting married now, when they're buying their first house, um, in fact, one of the things, one of the most easy way for uh, to combat socialism is property ownership. And so if we can get young people getting married, having children and owning houses, a lot of this, uh, especially within Christianity, will take care of itself. So these are just a few of the things that we'll be talking about in the webinar. And again, to register for that, go to frc.org slash reclaiming education to register. It's a free event, Tuesday, April 12th at 1 o'clock Eastern time. Now, David, it sounds like you're not talking about just starting a kindergarten. You're talking about undergraduate education, science degrees that are affordable, based in a biblical worldview that can happen in a church setting. Now, is this something that's accessible? I mean, most churches in America, of course, don't have multi-million dollar budgets. They don't have massive facilities. Is this realistic and accessible for the supermajority of churches in America, which are small and humble and don't have giant facilities? It's actually just decided, it's just designed for that. It's designed for the homeschool co-op. It's designed basically, you know, three to four people could get into a program and start one of these little campuses. That's exactly what it's for. Um, it's going to be what we call hybrid. It's not purely online education. It's facilitated, facilitated education. We want to start to take back some of those diabolical uh, teachings and raise up a new generation of uh, future teachers, future leaders that have a biblically-based worldview. This is absolutely accessible. David, what happens if the church doesn't do this? Well, we already know what's going to happen because we already see it happening. Um, if you go back to uh, George Barnapol, this was highlighted in the NBC, or excuse me, in the Newsweek article, where 30% of young Christians now identify as LGBTQ. That's not means that they're sympathetic. They actually identify as that way. You look at 19% now of millennials don't believe in the sanctity of life. 70 to 80% of our kids are being lost as they go out. If we don't do anything, the writing's on the wall. David, maybe my last question for you, because we are out of time, but I want to remind people, go to frc.org slash reclaiming education to sign up for this webinar that's going to happen this Tuesday, April 12th at one o'clock Eastern. That's frc.org slash reclaiming education. David, you've had experience at this in a lot of levels. What's the purpose of education in about 30 seconds? You know, I couldn't probably say it uh, any easier. The purpose of education, we want to educate or to train people in a biblical worldview to create flourishing societies. That's the end game of all education is a flourishing country. And the way we do that is by educating them, training them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And you can't do that if you're sending them to people to be educated and formed by people who hate God. And that's Part of, the part, part of the point here. Dr. McDonald, David McDonald, thank you so much for your time today. We look forward to joining you on Tuesday. See you then. All right. God bless. Thanks for having me, Joseph. God bless you. And again, folks, it's frc.org slash reclaiming education to sign up for that event. We look forward to seeing you then. And we look forward to seeing you tomorrow here on Washington Watch. Until then, fear God and nothing else. We'll see you next time. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. 
portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 